tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Good evening. How's everybody? Don't say better than you. If you have your Bibles, open them up to uh, Daniel chapter 3. I kind of feel like we left Daniel chapter 2 a little undone last week, but uh, we got so much to cover tonight in 3, and I did ask you guys, and I know you all did it, to go back through them last few verses of Daniel chapter 2 and finish up. I think we covered the meat of um, Daniel chapter 2, and as we know, um, Nebuchadnezzar was given, um, hey Brian, the first one, not for this week, but last week, if we could see that one first, kind of doctored it a little, up a little bit this week, but we know two weeks ago in Daniel chapter 2, again, in a very powerful study on biblical prophecy, this is a dream that Nebuchadnezzar had, and this is an artist's rendition uh, of what he saw. Now, the description of his dream was a, was a statue or a man. Now, the fact that this guy is, has a, a head like a Babylonian, what we would think the historic Babylon. Now, let me just, if I'm being honest, let me ask you guys this. How epic would that beard be in 2021 right here in Twilla today? Do you rock, you rock that, Dill? It'd be pretty popular, huh? Look at that thing, dude. It's like all round like the Tower of Babel and squared off at the bottom. He's got the bullet going on. Look at his hair coming out the back. But anyways, I don't know that. But the idea is that this, this, this statue or this man, um, the head of gold, the breast and arms of silver, the Medo-Persian Empire, the belly and thighs of brass, the legs of iron, Rome, and then the feet partly of clay and partly of iron represent successive kingdoms. Now, I taught you guys where we fit in that prophetic model. And does everybody remember who we are? No, Jackie's the only one that shouldn't know because I think she was in children's ministry last week. We are the people of the toes. You guys do know. You're just shy. We are the people of the toes, which means um, under this last empire is yet future. 476, when the Roman Empire fell to the second advent of Christ or the second coming of Christ at the end of the seven-year tribulation. And from these um, feet and iron uh, a partly of iron and partly of clay, This from this kingdom, and a lot of people believe that this last kingdom is going to be represented by what we call the revised Roman Empire because the legs are made of iron and the feet are made of partly iron and partly clay. So that And clay is, is the weakest substance, obviously, in that, in that statue that, that the Antichrist and the powerhouse that will be, that will come, will come out of the revised Roman Empire being, again, part of Rome, part of that. And so the, the European Union is, is something that, again, in biblical prophecy, we've been keeping our eye on forever. They, at one time, they were formed ten nations that made up the European Union. We're like, oh, that's it, the ten toes. We knew it. Who's coming? And then, like, a year later, they changed to the twelve nations. And then a year later, they changed to the fourteen. And <clears throat> I don't know what they're at today. But um, one of the things that has been interesting that I told you guys about is when we when we, when we try to look at this prophecy and, and, and do the fun part of it, right? Because when we're talking about where Antichrist is going to hail from, where he's going to come from, this is bond. This is solid. This is, this is not, you know, debatable. Um, but who does it represent? I guess that could be debatable. Remember last week, we know it's the revised Roman Empire. But I told you guys last week, there is a little bit of a twist in there because we view Europe, and Rome was traditionally where? In Italy, in Rome, in Europe. And so it's in Rome. It's a Roman Empire or European Empire. But that there's two different legs of the, of the statue, right? 
in the dream. The West and the Eastern Roman Empire. And the Eastern Roman Empire would, would, would include the area today that we call the Middle East. So Nebuchadnezzar has this dream. Daniel gives him the interpretation of the dream. And then when we get to chapter 3, um, our, our da- uh, Nebuchadnezzar promotes Daniel and his, and his friends at the end of chapter um, 2. That's the part I asked you to read. That brings us to chapter 3. Um, we are, just so you know, time frame wise, um, we are 10 years uh, separated from the, the, the dream of chapter 2. This is about 10 years later um, where it fell in, in history. Um, we are studying history. It's a prophetic book, but it's historical. It's historically accurate. It's archaeologically accurate. Um, the artifacts, the things have been found. They're, they're there. We know that we're studying true history. The Bible is the most accurate and best history book that, that, that exists. And so um, it says that in verse, in verse 1, it says, Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits, and it's with six cubits, and he set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. So there's two possible historical archaeological finds for this place called the plains of Dura. So it's not even really like would have been like a city in antiquities that you could put your thumb on. Um, the plains of Dura, it more me- it means like a fenced area or, or, or an enclosed place. Um, and there's two possible locations about six miles from where historical Babylon is. And where um, was Nebuchadnezzar in this great city of Babylon? Um, and where was Daniel and his friends in modern day? Does everybody know? Where's Babylon located? In where? It's, it's, it's located in Iraq, modern day Iraq, okay? Not Baghdad, but it's, I forget now, but it's, it's outside of Baghdad, what's modern day Baghdad. What was historical Babylon is is open area. It's not a city built over it today. Neb, uh, not Nebuchadnezzar. Um, Saddam Hussein had this weird kind of belief that he was the modern day Nebuchadnezzar, and so for that reason, um, history tells us this again as we were studying biblical prophecy and keeping an eye on Nebuchadnezzar through 2001, and and as we chased him and, and found him, and very fascinating in those days, um, that he he actually preserved and was preserving and investing and had a future plan that he was going to rebuild um, historical Babylon on its historical location that he had preserved. So as the dictator of Iraq, he was um, preserving that area. So it's preserved to this day. I'm not sure what the war did to it or what, what condition it's in actually 20 years later, but that was definitely true 20 years ago. So somewhere near there, um, is this place, they say about it's probably six miles outside of Babylon, is one of the historical sites. One of the fascinating things is that in this historical site, one of the archaeological finds is a platform that's like 50 feet by 35 feet, and it's solid on solid bedrock, and they believe that that's the, the place where this statue was, the foundation for this statue. You guys can look that stuff up and find that. Um, so how, how tall is 60 cubits? A cubit, a biblical cubit, you guys remember? That's a biblical cubit. From your elbow to the tip of your middle finger is how they would measure it because it would be pretty common on a lot of people. I probably have a longer cubit than, than, than say, you know, Heather has. Um, but, you know, that's how you would measure it. And so the typical cubit is from your elbow to your, to your extended finger. 
um, I guess before they had tape measures, that's the way the contractors would do it. And a cubit was about 18 inches. And so 18 inches times 60 comes out to about 90 feet. And so that's, that's an, a statue that's 90 feet tall. And it says that it was six cubits um, wide, which would make it uh, one-tenth in proportion. So nine feet wide and 60 feet tall. What's interesting is that the statue must have been trippy looking um, because the way that the, the, the average human is, is made up, we're made up in a five-to-one ratio. You're five times taller than your shoulders are wide. And so if the statue is ten-to-one, I mean, this thing just is a tall drink of water. I mean, just my friend Aaron Spears, he's like 6'6", 85 pounds, you know. Like, it must have been kind of odd-shaped if those were the, the, the actual size of it. And then it says here that it was made of what? What does it say? Oh, yeah, verse 1. Nebuchadnezzar made the image of gold. What do you guys think 90 feet by 9 feet of gold was? Um, a lot of people, which I don't know where I land on this one. This one's tough for me because I don't like to do this, and I find myself doing this, what I'm going to describe in this verse. But, um, and actually it doesn't say, so I think we get, we're okay a little bit. But when, when, when it just doesn't make sense, like if this is a statue that's 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide made of solid gold, the value of that gold today is anywhere between like $30 billion and $100 billion. I mean, astronomical amount of gold that would go into building a statue that was 9 feet wide and 90 feet tall, cubic um, and, and gold prices flux, but they're high now. Um, the, the fact that there was an abundance of gold in Babylon is historical. We know that um, multiple archaeological and um, historians have written um, that, that stories that have come from writings from people that were in ancient Babylon passed down. And, and one of the writers, Herodias, says that they had a table... Um, that there was that was would have been like 50 feet made of solid gold and a lion a statue of a lion in Babylon that was made of solid gold but a statue of a lion and a table that's 50 feet is a big difference between a 90 foot by 9 feet statue so um, so some some would just assume then and again like I said just if you don't you know you can't just assume because you don't think that that could happen. I don't think that's a good way to read or study our Bibles. But I don't know. It's real possible. Like you guys ever ask anybody if the, if the statue Moroni on the, on the temple, is it that supposed to be made of solid gold? It's supposed to be? Is it solid gold or is it overlaid in gold? Or what did they find when the trumpet fell off? <laughs> is that a dig? Maybe a little bit. You know I heard they're not going to put him back on. I was in Philadelphia, and I had no idea, but um, in downtown Philly, they have a huge Mormon temple, and over one of the freeways in Philadelphia is the direction that the Moroni statue is facing with the big trumpet, and um, when I was in Philly last week, we drove by it a couple times. I was telling everybody about our statue story, and um, I think Lydia was the one that was telling me she had heard through the grapevine that after the, 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 the trumpet fell out of his hand, that the future plan was, and of course, it's like a revelation that, that God gave about why they're not going to rebuild the statue and put the trumpet back in his hand on top of the temples and that they're going to come down off of um, all of the temples. So, yet to be determined 
I don't know how they, they, they find this stuff or hear this stuff. But anyways, um, this, this is an amazing, amazing feat. So Nebuchadnezzar, he makes this, this statue. Now, again, historically, it's not far-fetched at all to believe that there was um, a tremendous amount of gold in um, Babylon. Um, and this is after Solomon. Actually, Nebuchadnezzar, by this point, has probably gone back. He went in multiple sieges. Remember, we studied that in chapter 1. Nebuchadnezzar went to Babylon. He took Daniel and his friends first. And they, 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 were, they were governing over Jerusalem. The people in Jerusalem weren't doing what they were supposed to be doing. They went back a second time. And then the third time that Nebuchadnezzar and his armies went back, the Babylonians, in the third siege, um, they completely destroyed Jerusalem. But even in the first one, they took all of the articles of gold and silver and artifacts um, in the temple treasures. Um, they say The Bible actually records that there was so much gold in Israel at the time of Solomon that they didn't even count silver anymore. Silver was, was not even valuable enough to be counted because there was so much gold that had been amassed in Israel in that time. There's a, there's a really cool uh, little tidbit for you treasure hunters, but this is a true story. Um, one of the findings in the Dead Sea Scrolls. Hey, did anybody in here, when the Dead Sea Scrolls were in Salt Lake, did anybody go see them? You guys did? I'm kicking myself. We lived here at that time. It was just, I think we had just moved here. And they were on display in Salt Lake, the Dead Sea Scrolls, and we never made the 30-minute trip to go see them while I was here. It's so lame. Um, but in the findings of the, and they're still discovering new things in the Dead Sea Scrolls. Um, Pastor Jack Hibbs had said, you know, Jack Hibbs, like, knows everybody that knows everybody on the inside. And so he knows, like, what you say to your wife at night when you go to bed. So Jack was saying that one of his friends is an archaeologist on the dig and something big is coming. Um, and he hinted around without saying it, and then he said it, that it was the Gospel of Mark, pieces and fragments of the Gospel of Mark that have been discovered. And so, um, who knows, we'll see. But anyways, in the Dead Sea Scrolls, they found a piece of brass um, that in, in the caves of Qumran, and it's in a museum, and I don't know how they got it, but it's in a museum in Amman, Jordan. It's been there for a while. And the writings on this particular uh, fragment have never been um, deciphered yet. And supposedly, they hold the, um, the map or the location of Solomon's treasures. And so Amman Jordan is not going to uh, get rid of it anytime soon. But it's in a museum, so I'm sure anybody and their mom, I'm sure Israeli with their technology, they got pr- probably got hundreds of pictures of it so they could study it and try to decipher it, but... Um, without a doubt, one of the greatest treasure collections in human history took place under Solomon in Israel. So to have this much gold, if it was solid gold, what does that have to do with our lives today? Nothing. It's fun, though. It's Bible. Verse 2 says, um, And King Nebuchadnezzar sent word and gathered together the satraps, the administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the officials and provinces to come to the dedication of the image which Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So the satraps, the administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the officials of the providence gathered together for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then a herald cried aloud, to you it is commanded, a herald cried aloud. Have you guys ever seen any of those uh, uh, Roman heralds? And they use their hand signals when when they... Thus saith Titus, because they didn't have newspapers, but they would come from the Senate and they would just come out on this perch 
and they didn't mass produce the newspapers. So you would go to the Herald and he would read the, that's why the news, some newspapers are called the Herald because that's the way it would work. It would be one newspaper would come out with all the news, with all the announcements. And then the guy would stand on the perch with his hand signals and he would be a Herald. And so they have this Herald here in this chapter and he, he announces to you, it is commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages. Now who's included in this? It says, O peoples, but I think it could say there just, just as easily, and it's understood, all peoples, nations, and languages, right? All peoples, nations, and languages. Now, um, I want you to understand that this particular chapter, but the book of Daniel lines up in so many places with the book of Revelation. I believe what we have here, and you know, I'm not alone, what we have here is a model, another model, another attempt by Satan for a one-world government, a one-world religion, a one-world economy. And again, that's always been, I, I've preached this since the day I got to Tooele, right? That this has been Satan's agenda since Genesis chapter 11. It, it hasn't changed. It's consistent through history, through time. Satan does not know when Jesus is coming back. I mean, Old Testament is different because Jesus hadn't come the first time, so it's different. But he's always had this idea. He started it in Genesis 11. He didn't wait until Jesus was born and died and then start this, this vision. It started in Genesis 11 because ultimately these, these religions, who are they worshiping? Satan. And Satan would want the whole world to worship him. And, and this future one world government, one world economy that's coming will worship Satan. And it will finally come to the point where they will openly know and worship Satan when, when the Antichrist enters into the, the, the rebuilt Jewish temple. And what will the Antichrist do when he enters the rebuilt Jewish temple? He'll erect a statue of himself in the temple and demand that what? It be worshipped. And those that receive the mark of the beast on their forehead or their right hand, they will willingly be worshipping Satan. So we talked about this on Sunday in our sermon. I'll just mention it quickly again. I, I, I want you guys to be smarter than the average bear. You do not ever have to worry about receiving the mark of the beast or something in our society, the shot, the credit card, the whatever that's been through the years in our in our circles. Oh, it's the mark of the beast. No, it might be the technology that brings the mark of the beast. The mark of the beast might come in some kind of um, vaccine technology. But don't worry, you'll never receive the mark of the beast. Just make sure you got your heart and life right with Jesus. And when the trumpet of God blows and the dead in Christ rise first, and those of us who are alive and remain will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air, you'll be there. That means you get to skip out on and you get to do what Jesus said when he said, pray that you would escape these things that are going to come upon a Christ rejecting world when God pours out his wrath upon the world. So all these things, again, as we study them, it's not for us to worry about them. You're never going to receive the mark of the beast. OK, it's a willing submission to Satan. It happens three and a half years in. But it's a statue that the Antichrist sets up and demands it to be worshipped. What's happening here? What's Nebuchadnezzar just done? Do you guys see a similarity? Or am I making this up? He, he's erected a statue in the temple, and he's going to, or not in the temple, he's erected a statue, and he's going to demand that it be worshipped. He's gathered all the people of the world, and it's compulsory. If they don't do it, what is he going to do to them? I haven't read it yet, but I'll, you guys know the story. It says, look at, look at, okay, and I want you guys, do you guys highlight, write in your Bibles, take notes? Okay, if you do, this is, um, again, something that I've, I've, emphasized through teaching through the Word of God because it's a tool for you to use in your personal Bible study. But what is one of the ways that I say all the time that the Holy Spirit uses to teach us through Scripture? Repet what? Repetition. So when you see something repeated multiple times in a chapter especially, highlight it, underline it, and just know 
and I'll show and I'll, I'll highlight them for you when I when I recognize them. But the one thing you're going to see here is this phrase repeated over and over again. You shall fall down and worship. Okay, verse five, verse seven, verse ten. When there's more, we'll get them when we come to them. Um, verse fifteen, on and on and on. That's just four in five verses, ten verses there. Um, so it is commanded, verse 4, O peoples and nations, verse 5, that at the time you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, the psaltery, the symphony, with all kinds of music, you shall fall down and worship the gold image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. So um, this, this, this is done with music. And I think that enemy knows and uses music. What's fascinating about this list of music is that in Psalm 150, the prescription that you and I are given in the instruments that we're supposed to use to worship God, you find this same, um, some of these same intru- instruments listed. And, and so the instrument in itself is neither godly nor satanic. Here in this particular um, verse, they're going to be used in a very satanic, this is very satanic in the fact that this is um, Nebuchadnezzar, who, who in, this, in this particular instance is a type of the Antichrist. Now, spoiler alert, Nebuchadnezzar is setting up this statue because of pride in his heart. And I personally believe, and again, the commentators will go back and forth on this particular topic because nobody can prove it because the Bible doesn't say it. But was Nebuchadnezzar um, purposely um, um, defying what, what, what the interpretation of Daniel was in chapter 2? Because Daniel said there was going to be, Nebuchadnezzar was going to be this great head of gold, and then another kingdom was going to come in his place and then another kingdom and another kingdom. And, and Nebuchadnezzar erects a, a very similar style of statue, but yet it's, the whole thing is gold. He's, Nebuchadnezzar understands he is the head of gold. And maybe he's saying, no, I'm going to be the chest and the thighs and the legs and the feet, and nobody's ever going to take over my kingdom. My kingdom will reign forever. And I believe that's what he's saying in his heart. And I believe that the pride of Nebuchadnezzar, and one of the things we're going to get through the book of Daniel that's so good is that God is going to have a relationship with Nebuchadnezzar. He already has. It was introduced in chapter 2, right? And Nebuchadnezzar, when he interpreted the dream, Nebuchadnezzar has this like, like epiphany. And he says the God of Daniel is the only God who can, well, we know he's the only God, period, but he's the only God who can do such things. He's the only God that can interpret these dreams. And Nebuchadnezzar has this um, spontaneous reaction to Daniel and then promotes Daniel and his friends in chapter 2. He acknowledges that the God of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is better than all the other gods of Babylon. He acknowledges that in chapter 2. Ten years later, as this ruling, reigning king who's building the, the greatest city, probably, arguably, in all of antiquities, the way this city functioned and the power and the might and the, the opulence of this particular city, Babylon, in antiquity that Nebuchadnezzar built and his dad built, um, as he's building it, he decides ten years later that he's going to erect this, this statue, but not the way that, that, that God showed him in the dream or that Daniel interpreted it, but he's going to make it all of gold. You guys feel that? That makes sense? So, um, so this pride is going to fill his heart. But what does the Bible, what does the Bible say, and what did it already say about, about Nebuchadnezzar and, and that Daniel was communicating with Nebuchadnezzar was that it was God who rises up and tears down kings and kingdoms. And Nebuchadnezzar is going to get into that, this that I have built, that I, 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 and the 13 eyes in Isaiah and describing Satan himself, you know, and you see that in, in, in Nebuchadnezzar that he is full of pride, that he's built this great Babylon and nobody will ever conquer it. And I'm going to put up this statue. 
and I'm going to force. Now, who, who made this decree here in Daniel chapter 3? It was Nebuchadnezzar himself. And as you guys know, I've tried to explain the politics of these, these succeeding kingdoms and how they get a little weaker um, and, and the, the irons are a little less in value and a little weaker. But, um, you know, Nebuchadnezzar was a god king. When you see movies and you see historical um, depictions, he was a god king. Even the pharaohs of Egypt were, were somewhat more like god kings. But by the time you get to the Medo-Persian Empire, their king is not a god king. He, he can make laws and decrees, but as soon as they get written into Medo-Persian law, then they supersede the king. So the Medo-Persian law was above the king. You know, you come to the United States, we have presidents, right? But we don't have God presidents. They're supposed to operate under the law, and you have branches that are supposed to keep them accountable and these things. Well, Nebuchadnezzar had none of that. He was a God king. He was an off with your head. He could say something and change it in five minutes. And, and he was, you know, he was an angry guy. So he makes this decree that they will do this. And I wanted to point out the worship. I started to talk about the worship, but I just want to say, listen, the enemy knows that worship is super influential. And what is he, how does he use music more powerfully, I think, with young people? It's really effective in the lives of young people. Not that it's not effective in all of our lives. Music is very effective in all of our lives. You know, even now, I come in here, my back's upset. I sit down, and the worship, the worship um, music starts, and we start singing, and I start singing, and immediately God just starts ministering to my heart and my soul, and, you know, three songs, but it's just so needed and so, like, filling in my soul, and it's powerful, right? And, and I've, I've encouraged you guys before, as we connect to God through the music, and, and not vice versa, you know, and we make sure we put Jesus first and the music is the avenue, then it's, it's, it's valuable. And, but music touches your soul, not so much your spirit. Music can, can, can bring somebody to um, an emotional high, but it doesn't, you know, your soul and your spirit are very different things. And, and, and the soul of who you are, your personality, um, your makeup, your, your emotion, it, it, it's touched by music. But your spirit and, and where truth resides and where reason resides, and um, um, it, it's not always as effective. That's where the teaching of the Word of God. And if we have this, this combination of, of worship and effective teaching of the Word of God, then we can touch people's souls and their spirits. You know, and again, one of the, 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 the weaknesses that I, that I see with some of the hyper-Pentecostal movements where they're very good at this musical, theatrical, whatever it is, drive to make your emotions in a service really rise and you you dance and you shake and you sing in tongues and you feel something and you get goosebumps and you know very effective in that that it's effective in touching your soul but not your spirit and i think we need to do both i think maybe we could be careful that we're not afraid to touch people's soul you know and maybe some of our more conservative you know churches where we become Father, Son, and Holy Bible, that, that's a problem. We always want to be Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and allow the Holy Spirit to move. But the enemy um, knows music, and he uses it. It's very powerful. And, and what, what I'm just pointing out is that look at this, this, this setting and this stage. Um, 3,000, actually, if we're being technical, right, we're about um, 605 years before Christ, about 2,020 years since Christ. So we're talking about um, 2,600 years ago. And music was effective in controlling the masses. And, and what would be the cue for everybody to bow down in worship was the music, when the music began to play. But not only that, the, the, the power that would have created in this big thing. Now, there would have been a mass, mass gathering of people at this inaugural ceremony that we're reading about right now. Um, Nebuchadnezzar had conquered. Anybody want to take a wild guess? 
far as I know, I could be wrong, maybe there's other places outskirts, but he had conquered the known world. He was a world leader at this time. Um, um, all of these actually succeeding to some degree. Um, we talked about Alexander the Great, who comes um, out of the Grecian arm, uh, Empire, and Alexander the Great, by the time he was 33, had conquered the known world. And so, um, so, so this is all the kingdoms of the world. And I'm sure everybody that could and would and, you know, they would have traveled. And this would have been a major thing. How many of you guys like, you heard of uh, Burning Man? Burning Man Festival? The amount of people and they have that big man and they set him on fire. That, that, that's a huge bonfire. But I've seen one recently that was bigger, I guess, in Switzerland. I guess Switzerland or Denmark. They have the world's largest bonfire every year. And it's a stack of pallets. They build this tower out of pallets that, I don't know how high it goes up. I, I forget what it was. But it's the biggest, tallest thing you've ever seen, 200 feet or something of pallets, and wide enough on the bottom so they could build it all the way up. And they set that thing on fire at a festival. And, and so here we have this 90-foot statue to people gathered, the music plays. And, and the power of, of music in the, in the lives of, of, of all people, but I think, again, really effective. When I was a kid, man, we, one of the things I prided myself on growing up in L.A. was that there were so many different concert venues within a half hour of my house. There was so much to do within a half hour of my house. I could be in Hollywood. I could be in Long Beach. There was a big arena in Long Beach where we saw a bunch of concerts. I could be on Melrose. We could be Universal Studios um, all over and all the different concert venues. And everybody came and we went religiously you know, growing up, it was a big deal, the music and the concerts and how they affected my life and how the music was such a big part of who I was um, in our lives. And, you know, it's, it's tough, right? But one of the things encouraging, you know, forget, forget it. Let's just say this. I was going to say encouraging your, your kids in listening to good music, but why don't we start with us in listening to, to music that feeds your soul and, and, and music that ministers to your heart. And, and, and here's the thing. Here, here's my pet peeve on the whole thing. I understand, like, and I'm not totally against, like, you know, a secular song comes on and the radio. We were at Lava Hot Springs last week, and we had such an amazing time, and we're all there by the river, and one of Lydia's friends has a little, uh, whatever, box, and Bluetooth box, and starts playing some old songs, you know, and we're all singing to them, and, and you know, it was okay. It wasn't like, I wasn't worshiping the devil, you know, and there were secular songs, and, and it's not like, oh, it's the devil, I can't hear that, you know, and I'm in a group that's not all Christians, and... um but I, I think primarily, I think we do, and you want to get in the habit of listening to good music. Put you, you have three or four here in Tooele that we don't have. When I, where I was at in Bible, uh, uh, at home, in my home church, we had one radio station. It was all Bible teaching. You guys have K, Air One, K-Love, and CSN Radio, and there's an AM dial um, Christian radio station that you can tune into. So you got plenty. Music's good on there. All right, tune it in. That wasn't what we are talking about. Okay, so the theme of this chapter, I told you guys to highlight it. Um, it's in verse 5. You shall fall down and worship the gold image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Okay, that is the theme. The theme is that the world tells you and I to bow down. Um, and, and, and what happens if you don't bow down to what's culturally norm? You get what, what do they call it? Cancel, cancel cultured. I didn't even know that was a thing. I actually, honestly, I had to read an article explaining what cancel culture even was. But I, I figured it out, I guess. You know, if, and, 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 and they do it to themselves, too. You know, not, you know, the Christians, they leave us alone because they know we're counterculture. But 
you know, they have someone on their own that makes a stand for same-sex marriage or um, um, not a stand for same-sex marriage, makes a stand against same-sex marriage or makes a stand for traditional marriage, then, you know, they, they go after your Twitter feeds and your social media and they attack everything about you. And, um, but I'll tell you, actually, I have a picture of what Nebuchadnezzar's statue would have looked like. Brian, can we have that um, next one? I think I've covered this one. Up. This is what Nebuchadnezzar's statue would have looked like. It would have been just like that. We worship it still today. So Hollywood worships this image. They have no problem bowing down to what's culturally acceptable. And it doesn't matter where it comes from. It comes from Satan. And I don't know how, who, who he uses to filter it through. But it ends up with all the Hollywood stars. And they decide what's culturally norm and acceptable. And if you don't toe the party line, they will cancel you. And you, you know the other thing I noticed about this statue on the, uh, the actual Oscars um, what do they call that thing? Oh, it's called an Oscar, but the awards are called the, no, not the Golden Globes. The Oscars. Is it the Oscars? Or is it another one? Anyways, his arms are like this. And so um, Nebuchadnezzar's arms, or his statue's arms are that way as well. But even in the even in the Oscars, this depiction of this demonic golden statue that they stole out of, out of uh, Nebuchadnezzar's playbook. Um, this is a sign of, I'll just tell you, it's pagan. You know, and one of the things when you see certain things, you just ask yourself a simple question. Are the roots of it, do they go back to Christianity and are they Christian or are they pagan? And, and what you find is that this is pagan. It goes all the way back. When, you, when they found the Egypt or the mummies of Egypt from... 6,000 years ago, 5,000, 6,000, 5,500 years ago, how were the mummies, how were the mummies, um, um, how were they staged? Like this, or this, yeah. Crossed, with their arms crossed. Again, so why when you pray would you do this? I remember somebody telling me before I moved to Utah, I ain't doing this when I pray. That's what I did when I was a kid and I was mad and I didn't want to do what I was supposed to do. It is. It's like how a kid acts, acts defiant. And it's just so funny to me that how does this stuff get passed down? Well, again, you ask yourself, is it, does it come from Christ or does it come from pagan? And it's pagan all the way through. And you, and you see it again being consistent in all kinds of different pagan statues and things. So the world is bowing down. Um, you know, this, this idea, have you guys heard of the social score yet? This is a real deal. Um, it's implemented in places in China, and basically it's a and 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 the social score through the vaccine today. Um, Lydia was telling me that that right now there are multiple high tech companies who are right now are bidding for the bid to be able to to develop the software that will track you and give you a social score. So they'll track everything about your life. Everything about your life is is electronic. So they have they know where you spend your money because of your phone. They know who you are with in a room at all times. They know um, where what you post on social media. They're, they can and and you know they, they, they can watch you through your phone. They can listen to your phone through your phone. If you don't know your phone is listening to you, you're crazy. Your phone is absolutely listening to you. Right now, that the best that I could tell that that technology is being used to sell you something. Um, but who knows how they could use it against us in the future. You know, how many, have any of you guys experienced it where, you know, I've had it happen multiple times. I've talked to multiple people. Um, 
as I was talking to somebody about needing to buy a new jacket. I wasn't, and then, and then we, were, we were in Macy's with Lydia and her dad and Marilee. They were here, and I was looking at jackets, and, um, and, and the conversation came up about me needing a new jacket. And Dad asked me what I have for Christmas, and maybe I'll get a new jacket. We're in Macy's. I'm looking at jackets. Um, I get home that night. I open Facebook. Three ads for jackets. Never had any, had punched in one thing in my phone. It, that kind of stuff happens all the time. It's happened to me multiple times with different things like that. I forget what the last one was, where I was, I was talking about something, opened my phone, and there in my ads and in stuff that comes up, they're advertising those things to me. And, and so it's, you know, without a doubt, it's listening to us. I've heard that repeated a million times. Um, but anyways, this social score in China, basically, you know, everybody gets a social score. Like, we'll lose, you guys. You're in church. You're around a bunch of conservatives <coughs> all the time. You know, you post stuff on fa- on Facebook that's 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 traditional, that's anti, not anti, pro, whatever Jesus. Um, your social score will go way down. Well, so what? I don't care what they think. Well, it's fine, but a lot of us live in the real world as well too. And I know, you know, I look around the room, and I know some of you guys have jobs, or your family has jobs, government jobs. Guess what? You will not get with a low social score. Government job, and and possibly. That'll just go across the board, a secular job, period. And all the big companies will be a, be a part of it. Walmart, Home Depot, Amazon, um, of course, the, the FANG, Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Netflix, and Google, the FANG of the world, the satanic FANG of the scorpion FANG or the venomous um, FANG that is Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Netflix, and Google. So, um, all right, we got to move on. It says in verse 7, it says, so that the time when the, all the people, how many people? All the people heard the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, and the symphony with all kinds of music. That phrase is repeated twice, once in seven, one in ten. I Do what you want. I have it highlighted in my Bible twice because of repetition and because all music, and I've already talked about it for that reason, because it's listed multiple times, so it's there for a reason. The list of instruments are used for a reason. They are effective. They do change your lives. Oh, I started to tell you guys what my pet peeve was on music, and I never finished. I got sidetracked. But I do want to finish that, that thought. My, my little pet peeve is just if you say, oh, it doesn't affect me. It doesn't, it doesn't change my life, or it doesn't affect my spirituality. No, it does. Don't think it doesn't. It does. What you watch, what you listen to, those things do affect your spirituality. I don't think they make you a sinner. Or, you know, we're sinners already. We don't need that stuff to be sinners. But um, they do affect um, your, your, your relationship. And it all has to do with relationship and closeness in our relationship with God. Those things affect us. The things that we watch, the things that we ingest, the Bible says as much, they do affect us. So just don't believe a lie that, oh, it just doesn't, doesn't matter. If you understand it matters and you do it anyways, that's cool. That's on you. That's good. But just don't believe that lie. You know, I think the best example is that Super Bowl commercial. They don't spend $7 trillion for a 30-second Super Bowl commercial because they don't work. There's a reason why they advertise and why they spend that money on a 30-second, 60-second ad on, on the Super Bowl is because they absolutely work. They absolutely affect what we buy, and, and they do make an impression on our lives. All right, so then it says, um, fall down and worship the gold image which King Nebuchadnezzar had made. Now, Nebi is a um, type here in this, in this scenario of Antichrist. He's formed successfully a, a, a small model of, of what's coming in Revelation. He has a one-world religion. 
He has a one-world government. He's, he's a one-world dictator. He is the king over the known world. He's made a decree that the entire world will follow him and bow down, or he will kill them. If you do not receive the mark of the beast, what are they going to do to you? They're going to cut your head off is what the Bible says, off with the head. Um, so we, we've had, again, Antichrist types all through history. You know, in, 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 in Germany, I think the devil would have been happy to make uh, Hitler the Antichrist. I think he was preparing Hitler and hoping that Jesus would come back and that he had his guy ready. In the 1930s in, 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 in Germany, the propaganda had already begun. And they were saying that if you want to serve the living God, then you'll serve your Fuhrer, Adolf Hitler. And by serving your Fuhrer, you are doing um, service unto God. And then, and then by the 1940s, they had replaced the, you know, Germany produced um, some of the world's and, and, and many of the world's greatest theologians we've ever had. They were, they were a theological think tank and, and production tank, Germany was, for their theology. Powerfully amazing and historical. Um, and, and, and by the 1940s, Hitler had replaced the, the, the churches with what was called the Church of Germany. He actually even had rewritten the Bible because he was trying to take out anything in the Bible that was positive towards Jews or towards Israel and, and, and make it anti-Israel and anti-Jew and, and pro-Third um, um, Reich. And that was, again, this, this attempt, another satanic attempt at, at these things. And then it says in verse number 8, Therefore, all, the, all that time, Chaldeans came forward and, and accused the, Jew, the Jews. Now, this is 10 years later. It was only 10 years ago that Daniel saved these guys' butts, right? And now they're... They're, they're turning on him that quick because e- even you guys, listen, your people that you have in the world that are not Christians, and you could be friends with them, but ultimately they're going to have a higher agenda. And in this case, their higher agenda was power, and they, they didn't care what it took or who they went through to get it. They just wanted the power. So they bring, um, and it, it's not, I don't read into this so much the setup that we're going to find when it comes to Daniel and the lion's den. When it came to Daniel and the lion's den, they dreamed this plan up to, in order to kill Daniel and presented it to Darius in a different way. Darius signed it into Medo-Persian law, and then Daniel disobeyed it like they knew he would. And Darius didn't want to because he was friends with Daniel, but has to throw him into the lion's den. This is different. I think this was a, 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 a organic plan that was, you know, came out of Nebuchadnezzar's mind, I'm sure, uh, demonically planted into his mind as he came up with this plot. Um, to do this, but they're going to try to trap the Jews regardless. And it says, verse 10, You, O king, have made a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, pyre, harp, lyre, and psaltery, and symphony with all kinds of music shall fall down and worship, fall down and worship, fall down and worship. We find it over and over again. What does Satan want you guys to do? Fall down and worship society. Fall down and worship the norm. Fall down and worship what's culturally acceptable. And verse 11 says, And whoever does not fall down in worship shall be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. Well, it's going to be the opposite with the Antichrist. Those that do bow down in worship, they're the ones that are going to be thrown into the fiery furnace. And those that stand and have their heads cut off, they're not going to be thrown into the fiery furnace. Therefore, um, there are certain Jews who, and I think there's derogatory in that, there are certain Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, these guys were set over the affairs of Babylon. Um, 
really quoting the, the promotion that Nebuchadnezzar gives them in chapter 2 at the end. These guys have been set over their bosses. Um, These men, O king, have not paid due regard to who? You. Now, this statue, some believe, because Nebuchadnezzar is going to say to these guys, will you not worship our gods? So some would say, and I think it's dual fold, that the statue represented Marduk. Now, Marduk was the main god that Nebuchadnezzar worshipped. He was the main god, um, pagan god. You guys have heard of Baal and Ashtoreth, and we mentioned those through the Old Testament. Marduk is kind of a new name, but again, it's, it's a pagan deity that would have been primary in the Babylonian religion. Now, they were um, multi-theistic, and they worshipped lots of different gods, but Marduk would have been the deity that Nebuchadnezzar teed in on and was his main god. And so that the statue was a worship to Marduk. But I think it was, again, it was a statue of himself and it was set up to to prove a point. And here we have a little clue because those that come understand as they're talking to the king. Now, when the king is saying it, he's going to word it a little bit different. But those that are around him that know him closely and know what he's up to say, King, these guys have not worshipped you. They have not bowed down to you and give regards to you, nor do they respect your gods or worship the gold image which you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in a rage and fury, this guy's got anger issues, man. He needs to take a blue pill and relax. Give the command to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they brought these men before the king. Now, I, I find this verse a little fascinating in that Nebuchadnezzar was in a rage and I still see a little bit of um, a restraint or an ability to think clearly because in, in, if he's reacting in a rage, he doesn't bring them before himself. He just has them thrown directly into the fiery furnace. Okay, throw them in the fiery furnace. But he says, instead, he says, bring them to me. And maybe even as mad as he is, you know, like when you're, when you're really mad at somebody, and I, I don't know a better word, I should find a better word, that you hate or you don't like or somebody that's outside of your life in your circle, some stranger or something. It's a di- but when you're really that, and you could get even madder at people that you love, but there's still a little bit of restraint because, you, you know, as much as you're mad, you, your heart is still filled and you still know you love this person. And so I, I, I believe, obviously, there was a, a, a relationship between Nebuchadnezzar, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Daniel is a, is a foregone conclusion. Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar become very close friends through um, Daniel's 70-year stay there. So he says, bring them to me. And then Nebuchadnezzar spoke to them saying, hey, guys, we're friends. No, he didn't say that. He said, is it true? Oh, what, what a wise just king in this, in this position. You know, before you, you react, you know, that's how we get ourselves in trouble all the time. Somebody comes and tells you a lie about somebody else and you react before you ask the person if it's even true. Before you know if it's even true. It's so bad. Our RPR manager at Joshua Springs, um, our administrative pastor, we called him. We didn't call him PR. We called him administrative pastor, but he dealt with 120 paid staff members and there's problems when you have 120 people that work together from time to time, of course. And he he was such a phenomenal job of, of dealing with problems and issues like this. And, and, and usually, and one of his key things is, is when there was a problem between two people that were both coming to him, he would always bring them together face to face and then make them talk about those issues together with him in the presence. But he, he was just really, really, really gifted and talented um, by the Holy Spirit at this, this, this ministry of administration and, and, and PR. And so here Nebuchadnezzar, he's doing a good job so far. He brings them in. He asks them, is it true? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve 
my gods or worship the image which I have set up. Now, if you are ready at the time, you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery in symphony with all kinds of music and fall down and worship the image which I have made. Listen, the world is okay with you worshiping your God. They have no problem with you going to church. They, they would have no problem with you claiming to be a believer or, or a Christian. As long as you're willing to worship their gods as well, they don't care what you do. So you believe the party line, you fit in with what they fit in with, you could, you could go to all the church you want. That's been the same throughout history. Satan doesn't care if you have a, a claim to, to worship Jesus. Nebuchadnezzar didn't care who they worshipped, um, that they worshipped Jehovah or they worshipped Yahweh. And, um, but as long as they worship the other gods of the world as well. But as soon as you have an exclusion that you worship one God, and that's always the exclusion, then it's off with your head. i got to try to do something, you guys. I'm trying to fake it, but I'm trying to stretch for a second. Um, oh, yeah, that felt good. Oh, it did. It kind of gave me a little bit of a stretch. Um, all right. Okay, um, fall down and worship, verse 15. I think that's four or fourth time we have that. We're highlighting that, right, writing that down. You worship the image, do not worship. You shall cast him into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands, Nebi asked. Now, um, he does give him a second chance. He says, look, it's okay. You guys made a mistake. You didn't do it here. Let me give you a chance. When the music plays, let me watch. And you guys just bow down. And again, the world will do that. The world will give you the opportunity to bow down to their gods. Now, I, I, I struggle with this question a little bit, if, if, and, and maybe not in our lives. I don't know. That we're, maybe we, who knows? Maybe if the Lord tarries enough, we will experience some kind of persecution at that level. But, you know, nobody's really put us in a position where they got a gun to our head, and either you deny Christ or you don't. But, but I think the, the, the prevailing thought is, you know, if, if I stay here, I can do more for the Lord. And I don't mean it in my heart, so I'll tell these guys, oh, yeah, I'll tell them all, I'll fake a bow down and let them think I'm doing what they think, and I'll go on with my life. And then I can, you know, these guys are getting threatened with their being cut into pieces, thrown into a fire, how their houses turned into ash heaps. Um, why not just, just do it? But you know you find throughout the Bible, throughout all of history, they never do. And, and, and I really believe that, that strongly that's God's will for us. That that, that other option, that, that sometimes, again, you would think, well, why would it be so bad just to fake it? Like in, in, in Rome... You know, the Romans were the same way. The Romans didn't care about the Christians worshiping Jesus and, 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 and doing their God as long as they would worship Caesar once a year as well. And all, all they had to do was take a little pinch of incense and appear once a year and, and, and put the incense in a form of worship, drop the incense on the altar and repeat these words. Caesar is Lord. That's all they had to do. So why, how, how bad would it be for, for a citizen to go and Caesar's Lord? No, he's not. Um, but they wouldn't do it. They wouldn't do it. And millions of Christians died in the first century because they wouldn't do it. And, and throughout history. And, and God sustained. You know, um, one of the cool stories about the mission, we're, we're starting a Bible college in the country of Georgia. And Vlad, our, our missionary, is there now, as you guys know. Um, Lydia and I are planning a trip to Georgia um, together. I'm excited because it'll be a missionary trip that um, her and I will get to go to, to do together. And uh, since I've been in, in Utah now for the last eight years, uh, pretty much traveled alone. We, we got to travel together in the early years, and we did 
um, Philippines and China and, and Israel together. And um, then we started having kids. And um, then I actually stopped traveling for a season of ministry where just life was busy and wasn't doing a ton of missions and traveling. And but since I've been to Utah, I've been kind of God's opened the door again for me to do missions and do a bunch of more traveling, but haven't been able to, Lydia and I, because since Gabrielle's come especially, um, haven't been able to get away together. But anyways, so we're going to go to Georgia. Um, but one of the things, that the history of Georgia is that Georgia was, was a Christian nation. And Georgia was um, sacked by the Muslims. And the Muslims told the, told the people of Georgia that they just had to pay homage to Allah and that they would be spared. And, and anybody who wouldn't, they would cut off their heads. And so there's a famous, to this day, it's called the, the I think they call it the Bridge of a uh, 100,000 Souls. And so they came to this bridge over the water, and, and, and they had to do it. And the first guy showed up, and he refused, and they cut his head off. And the next Georgian came in, and um, he, he watched the one in front of him, and he came in, and he refused, and they cut his head off. A hundred thousand Georgians had their heads cut off on that bridge that day, and the Muslims gave up and quit. They, they couldn't cut off. They were tired. They were done, and they gave in. But it took a hundred thousand souls to give their lives for Christ and the, and the Muslims gave up the fight that day or that time. I don't know how much it took a long time, 100,000, but again, that's the history there. And, and that's our history all the way through. That's the history of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego here as well. They're not going to cave or fold. <coughs> now we have, this is more like a kind of a teaching session, but if I had a preaching session, this this next part of this this chapter, boy, this preaches. I'm telling you what. You get an opportunity to go somewhere and preach, and you want to preach, hellfire, not hellfire and brimstone, but you want to, Jesus, and you want to preach? This is a good chapter and a good verse for you right here. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Is that where we at? 16? Did I read 15? Yeah. Oh, I like the end of 15. Who, who will deliver you from my hands? Nebi says. Oh, they're going to find out real soon. He's going to find out. Verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered the king and said, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar. We have no need to answer you in this matter. Now, I don't think that's disrespectful. They're not, they're not speaking in a disrespectful tone here. They say, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, but they're being a matter of fact. We have no need to answer you in this matter. We're, we don't need time to go think about it. We've already made up our minds. As a matter of fact, right, didn't these guys make up their minds when they were 15, 16-year-old kids brought over to Babylon and they purposed in their hearts with their friend Daniel that they weren't going to defile themselves with the king's delicacies. And each one of these young men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they would have had to make their own choice when, when Daniel is recorded as making that decision. These guys are with Daniel in that. Because they could have, any one of them could have said, Daniel, you guys can do that. I'm not doing that. And there was a bunch of other, there were all Jewish kids that came over, and these were the only four that did it. And, and so, you know, we've already made this decision that we're not going to. And he says, if... That is the case. Our God whom we serve is able. Everybody say, is able. God is able to deliver us from the fiery furnace. Is God able to deliver you from the fiery furnace? Does He deliver you from the fiery furnace? No. <laughs> he doesn't. He never promised you to. He, no, sometimes He does. But that's not the issue. But our God is able to deliver us from the fiery furnace. But I think the message is so much bigger than that. Because these guys aren't going to be actually delivered from the furnace. They're going to be delivered what? Through the fire, through the furnace. And that's more what we see and consistent with God's word is that God, God delivers us through the fire, through the furnace. 
And so these guys, but the faith of these guys is so powerful to stand in front of this king with no fear. The Bible says, be anxious for nothing, but in all things, by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which does what? Surpasses understanding. It surpasses your understanding. Don't try to wrap your mind about it. It's a peace of God that doesn't make any sense. You should not have the peace of God over your life, over this situation, and yet you do. And you know what it does? It blows your friend's minds. Why are you, why, how can you have peace through this time? I don't know. It surpasses my understanding. But I've, I've guarded, my God has guarded my heart as I've been anxious for nothing. And in all things, by prayer and supplication, let my requests be made known to God. And so they say here, we're, we're not anxious. If that is the case, our God, who we serve, he is able to deliver us, O king, from this burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us, O king, from your hand. Oh, my gosh. This one is his power. This should go in the category of but God. This next verse, his next three words, verse 18. This is a but God moment in Scripture and coming from the men and the people of God. And they say, but if not. Come on, somebody. But if not. Do you have that in your repertoire? Do you have that in your bag of tricks? You, you want to leave here today uh, an equipped follower of Christ? Put this in your grocery bag and take it home. But if not, that's a next level Christian. That's a next level believer. That's a believer that's not going to fall when things go bad in your life. You know, one, you know the biggest thing I watch among believers that breaks my heart? Because eternity is forever. And God's promises are eternal. And God's blessing over your life is for eternity. And, and you sacrifice that and you throw that away for something temporary. Would you trade a treasure chest for a booger? You wouldn't. But we do it every day. We have the treasures of Solomon. We read the map in Amman, Jordan, in the museum, and we found Solomon's treasure, the greatest treasure in human history. And we'll trade it for a booger because the treasure represents eternity and the booger is life, the things in this life. And these guys say, but if not, ah! In this case, which I love, in this case, they have the ability. Some of us have to walk through the hell. That, that's harder. I really believe that. That's the truth. To walk through the fire, to walk through the furnace. You know, someone had a gun to my head, and I said, yeah, God will make that bullet bounce off, but if not, like, that's so easy. I get to go to heaven. Like, the second you pull that trigger, I'm going to be hanging out with Jesus. Please pull the trigger. That, 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 that's easy. But if not, it's hard, though, because this is not a trigger. This is, you're going to go into a fiery furnace. Life is going to get hard. I'm going to throw some things at you. And, and God allows us, the, the big lesson with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace is that God doesn't keep us from the fire. He goes into the fire with us. And when we come out, our clothes don't even smell like smoke miraculously. The peace of God that surpasses all understanding. Jesus said, my peace I give to you. But not like the world gives peace do I give. And this is right after he promises the Holy Spirit, John 14. He's promised the Holy Spirit. And then he says in, in John 14, verse 27, let not your hearts be troubled. Do you realize he said that in John 14, 1? How does John 14, the chapter, start? John 14, 1 through 6. You guys all have that memorized, right? Part of your assignment as a Christ follower. You've got to know John 14, 1 through 6. Let not your hearts be troubled. It's how that chapter starts. 
And then he gets to 26 after he promises the Holy Spirit. And then he's going to send a comforter, a helper who's going to come. And Jesus says, my peace I give to you. And not like the world do I give my peace. I don't give it like the world gives it. I give you, I give you it supernaturally. And let not your hearts be troubled. You have the peace of God. You, can ex- you know what's crazy? You can experience the peace of God in the midst of a fire. How many of you guys experience the peace of God in the midst of a fire? Ha! Talk about convicting, myself included, right? We, we, how many of you guys have asked God to put you in a fire? You've got some stuff you need burned off your life. You guys know the lesson? There's another lesson, totally parenthetically, out of this whole, this whole thing. The lesson of the refiner's fire in the Bible? How's the refiner's fire work? God puts you into a refiner's fire, and he uses, again, gold as, 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 a, as an example. And gold is purified is how? It's just simple. It's, tur- it's put into a fire, and the heat's turned up. And what happens to the impurities that's in the gold? They rise to the top. And then what do they do with it? They scrape it off. And then, and then what do they have to do? To get more, to get more of this stuff to rise to the top. They got to turn the fire up. What does God do in your life sometimes? Has to turn the fire up. You know what? You know the, the the technical name for that stuff in gold that rises to the top that they scrape off? What it's called? Scum. And, and so God is is purifying us through a fire. Is biblical. And here he gives us a literal example in the Bible of three guys that he's going to put into a fire and go into it with them. They were bound when they went in. They were loose when, 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 they, went in, when, when they got in. And, and, and there was three that were sent in, and yet Nebuchadnezzar, the, so powerful. Even the world sees the move of Jesus in these faithful guys. The, the world looks in, um, and they say, didn't I throw three guys into the fire? Yet I see four, and the four is like the Son of Man. Or like the Son of God, not Son of Man, Son of God. That's a New Testament verse. But if not, verse 18, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. Listen, do not worship the gold image this world has set up. Worship Jesus. You you know, um, our, our faith can be based on, and that's why this but if not is so powerful. Because listen, this is the problem. This is worldwide. Our faith is based on what God can and does for us. What, what, what does God do for me? You know what the biggest struggle is in Africa? Pastor Isaac texted me, and, 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 and Uganda just went on a new COVID shutdown. They had one a while ago. Gerald and I were there. The country was open. We're still kind of things going on with masks, but it was starting to open up. And, um, but they had some serious shutdown. They're in a serious 45-day shutdown right now, Isaac just said. Nobody's being allowed in the country um, he got back in because he's a, he's a national. And so they, you know, planes were hard because they're canceling all the flights in because most of the flights are not full of nationals. They're full of other people. But he got home and they're on a full shutdown. No cars are allowed on the streets in, in the country of Uganda unless they're government vehicles. And, 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 and what he said was, and this is an African thing, and it's not just an African thing. It's all over the world. The people look at the church, Calvary Chapel, and they say, Oh, you say you serve this big God. Where's your God now? Where's your God now? How come your God can't fix this for you? And that's the way they process the gods that win. Do you, do you know why 
And when Nebuchadnezzar is forming this picture of a one world religion and makes everybody bow down and everybody willingly does it, there's only three guys that are recorded that don't bow down in, in, this, entire, in this entire thing. But, but again, the, the mentality would have been, look at the gold that's here. Look at the power of our military that has conquered the world. God must be on our side, right? That's the way the world sees it. That's the way the Ugandans see it. That's the way that Islam sees it today. You know, again, I, um, I told you guys, when, when Islam really started dominating and our, and our prophetic model changed, you know, not changed, it never changes. The Bible never changes, but the political landscape changes. And when Islam took over and, and prophetically, we started having more of an eye on Islam than we did on the Roman Catholic Church for end times events. But you know, today, Amir Safadi and some of these others are saying that one of the problems with Islam is the last 10 years, Islam is crumbling from within. And do you know why they're crumbling from within? Because they've not won a war since 2001 and before that. They're getting their butts kicked in every war they've entered. ISIS got completely destroyed and annihilated. And ISIS was supposed to be the Islamic State. And if, and if Allah is so powerful and these are his warriors, why did ISIS get beat like that? Why did Al-Qaeda, why did the rest of them, the Taliban, why did we just get our butts kicked from the United States? Where is our God? And a lot of Muslims' faith are being rocked because they see God as somebody who just shows up and, and, and does stuff, right? But listen, this is the point for you and I. I don't know, you know, even Isaac as an African um, indigenous person, he, he, he's a believer in Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit. He's head and heels past a lot of the pastors that we've been discipling in Africa and, and some of the issues that we've been in dealing and trying to disciple the African pastors there. But, but even in Isaac's kind of in his core, he, 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 he processes that way. He was telling me about those soccer uniforms. He was so excited. He was giddy excited when, when, we, when we presented these uniforms to these kids because in their mind, they said to him, Isaac, we need new uniforms. And he said, we, we don't have anything to give you new uniforms, but God will provide. But God will do something for you guys. And when we came through and bought those uniforms and he could present them, he could say to them, look, our God does stuff. And that's effective for doing ministry, which, okay, I get it. But, but, but I don't think that long term you can sustain that. And I think that, that for you and I, obviously, we have to develop, right, what? We have to develop a maturity that, that, that exceeds that. And if you live your Christian life just believing God has to show up and do this or do that, or your faith is rocked, you're going to struggle. I'm not coming to your house in heaven because it's going to be tiny. You can come to my house. No, not my house. Mine's not going to be big either, but we can go to Lydia's house and hang out. But listen, we, we can rise above that. But if not, I'm going to serve God anyways. Not because of what he does, but because of what? Somebody, come on. We can go home. You guys have heard me. Because of who he is. Because what he's already done on the cross. Because he's good. Because he's true. Because he loves us. Because he's coming again. And so that, that's the case, you guys. And so again, this is so good, so good, so good, so good. Um, hey, Romans chapter 4, that's your homework. About three quarters of the way through Romans 4, there's four things. Yeah, you can close your Bible so I don't keep going. We got to go. You, um, there's four things that um, Paul lists 
from Abraham as factors of faith. Now, these young men display all four of them here in this chapter. Faith. I'll just give you a kind of quick spoiler alert. No, I don't have time, so if I go through all four of them um, next week. All right, we'll, we'll do it. We'll finish it. We'll pick up verse 19 next week. Um, you guys sat through worship. You sat through the sermon. You guys ready to stand yet? Let's stand for a second. Oh, I felt better since I stood up, man. I even straightened out. I think talking helps. I really do. I think the whole, I, I, I said on Sunday, I wasn't feeling good on Sunday at all. My back was done. On, on, it happened on Friday of last week. But I came. I got through all Sunday morning. Nobody even knew my back was hurting. Um, I didn't say nothing. I got to preach. And then when I got home Sunday afternoon, it came back. But I think this is the key, standing up. And maybe I need to talk to you guys for like another half hour so my back will really start to feel good. But definitely it's feeling better since I stood up and stretched out a little bit. Father God, we thank you and we praise you. And Lord, we thank you for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And God, forgive me that. But I just, as much as I want to, Father, I just, I, I can't do this this scripture enough justice, God, to explain, Lord, the power in, in a faith, God, that looks at the face of the world and doesn't bow down to their God, that looks in the face of their ruler and says, we will not bow down to you or your God that looks in the face of death and says, we will not bow down to you or your God, that goes into the fire by faith and comes out by faith. And Lord, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, next week, I guess we'll cover it a little bit next week. I want to get into four next week too, but...